for listening to the Folk Podcast. If you would like to become more involved with the Wisdom of Odin community, please think about donating to Patreon. At the lowest tier, you gain access to our community Discord. Uh, the next tier, you gain access to live streams. And of course, at the final tier, you gain early access videos, as well as your name in the end credits for all Wisdom of Odin videos. Thank you so much for watching, and thank you so much for whatever support you're able to provide. Hello, welcome to the Folk Podcast, episode 36. We apologize, we did not have an episode last week. Sadly, the day we were going to record, I had a family emergency pop up literally the 10 minutes before we were going to record. So we do apologize, um, but there are just certain things we cannot avoid. Uh, but luckily, I had a stranger knock on my door today, and that stranger has long majestic hair and is also named Parker. Um, so he is going to be joining us for this episode because he is actually at my house right now. And I was just like, hey, you want to be on the podcast? And now I've kind of roped him into it. But we've talked about having Parker on the podcast before, so this worked out great. Um, so Parker, go ahead and say hello and introduce yourself. Uh, what's up, y'all? So I'm Parker. Uh, some people call me Raggy, Wild Man, Fuzz. You can call me whatever, as long as it's not me, because I'll probably cry. Uh, nah. So I, you know, grew up typical kid in uh, the South and was raised Baptist, but then, you know, I realized some stuff wasn't going right there, and I left all that jazz whenever I was probably about 11 or 12 years old, and then pretty much since then, I said if I was to worship anything, it was going to be nature, and then slowly as I've gotten older, uh, my hobbies have been nature, my schooling is nature, my career is nature, so I figured, you know, why, uh, why not have my gods be nature too? And here we are in the woods all the time, all the time. When he's saying he's in the woods all the time, he is literally not joking. Like, I forget, like, there was one point you were telling me, you're, we were like talking about making plans and you're like, well, I'm going to be in the woods for about three months. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sleeping in my car. It's no big yeah, deal. Yeah, I've been living on my car for like the past three and a half months. Uh, by choice. Yes, by choice. Going between school, which was entirely in the woods, and my job, which is like 12 hours in the woods. So <laughs> so the main topic today, besides talking to Parker, and I do want to leave it up to, I mean, obviously, uh, Baker, you know, uh, Parker a little bit better. Um, but, you know, sure, Ian, you guys might have questions for him if you do. Um, but our main topic today is going to be the Vonier. Uh, since uh, Parker is a primary Vonier uh, follower, just because of the nature aspect. Um, and quite frankly, we do not have a lot of written information on the Vonier. And it definitely seems like a lot of the, these nature aspects came later. Uh, at least through the practitioners and uh, definitely an interesting side to the Norse pantheon. Um, so I definitely want to explore that a little bit further and having Parker here to answer questions and his personal experiences uh, being a modern practitioner of this. Um, but to our other co-hosts, I want to open it up to you. Do you guys have any questions for Parker while we have him here? I've got a, I've got a good one to start. Um, it's kind of a very generic question as far as like what brought you more towards the Norse compared to like Celtic paganism? Because I know the Celts are pretty focused on nature base as well i feel like almost maybe a little bit more so i was just kind of exploring around religions honestly and uh you know th the north side always interested me and things really ramped up i was kind of just an atheist that believed in nature and the powers of nature and then i read the havamal and through everything else that I knew out the window, I was like, whatever this comes from, this is the way. And that really changed me and shaped how I was going. Because I used to be a scumbag, not going to lie. Like back in high school, I was the worst. Y'all would have hated me. But I've then, seen his high school pictures. They're not very, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, but then I read that and decided to turn a lot of my stuff around and was doing unintentional shadow work and all that jazz. Uh, so then I kind of just stayed on the Norse path because I really like the values associated with it. Uh, and then luckily I thought that I was going to be into like Odin or Thor, that type of thing. But every time I tried, it just didn't mesh until I found Frere. And I was like, ah, here we go. This is it. This is my man right here. I have been delving a little bit into the Celtic side because uh, I'm going through the... Uh, Order of Bards, Ovates, and Druids, uh, Druid Recourse. So I've been dipping my toes a little. Going back to what you were talking about, uh, Freyr, that's the question I had. It's like, 
I, I really haven't had a chance to sit down and talk with you yet about how like Freer showed himself or came to you the first time. And I'd like to hear that. Mm. That is a good question. So Freer wasn't actually the first Bonnier that came to me. It was actually Nerthus, uh, which is believed to be his mother. Um, you know, I was setting off to do my first offering. I didn't know where I was going or who I was doing it to really, but I was walking by this lakeside and I found this huge beech tree that was half dead, half alive. And it just spoke to me, man. I gave what I had, which just so happened to be a bunch of vegetables and stuff that I would have given Nerthus now, uh, and did the whole offering and wrote this huge poem afterwards. And then after that, I was like, all right, this is real. I need to delve a little deeper, uh, found Frere. And then uh, I think it was pretty nonchalant, honestly. I mean, you know, a lot of people want these big grandiose experiences, but my first one with Frere, I was just in the woods talking with him, you know, uh, asking, I wanted to be a better man and grow up to be a good man. So nothing too special. Just um, so Parker, as you know, someone who's, you know, you were at the first gathering, uh, much like Baker was. Um, so, you know, the, I think the coolest thing watching, you know, all of us from that first gathering all the way up through to where we are now is our growth within our own personal practice, as well as our own ritual practice, as far as public rituals. I think one of my proudest moments is when you, the first time you actually did a ritual at the fall gathering. Um, and then that, uh, evolved further into the Kentucky Yule, you ended up doing a Vanya ritual with, uh, Zach and Logan. So how's that process been as far as like going from someone who, well, I mean, quite frankly, our story of meetings actually quite funny too, is the fact that you like literally just saw where I was in a video and you're like, bro, you in yeah, Kentucky? So I was, I was browsing somewhere and I saw one of Jacob's videos and literally all it was, was he's in a Creek. I said, I know that Creek. So I can remember Creek's like no one's business. And I was like, I know where that Creek is. That's around my area looked at another video of his and he was filming where I work, where I was watching the video at the time, like 10 feet away from where I was sitting. And I hit him up on Instagram. I was like, dude, do you live here? And he's like, yeah, I do. And I was like, you want to go hiking? Hopefully we're both not serial killers. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and then we went hiking and uh, yeah, we made it all the way around the trail, got back to his car and we're like, well, cool we're confirmed not serial killers let's see if the I, other people I remember are. we sent a picture to the that group chat we had at the time for the original mm -hmm. gathering and like we literally just sent a picture of both of us and we were like confirms not serial killers <laughs> yeah, we're safe here um so but yeah how's that process going from like you know literally the first time you know meeting all of uh you know to you know leading your own rituals it's weird man it's never something i wanted or you know needed in my life it just kind of happened you know as more people came to the gatherings and the seasons changed, you know, you got to change up what you're doing for the rituals. Um, the first time some people were doing some oath ring ceremonies and they had one person for the gods and one person for the folk. And then I was like, Hey, I'll like help you guys bring firewood or whatever. I'll do my part. They're like, no, no, no. We need you to help read, lead the ritual. You're the third aspect we needed, which is an inherent part of this faith is, uh, you know, connecting yourself to the land and, you know, being a good steward of the land. So uh, got roped in there. And then Jacob just keeps on coming up to me and being like, hey, man, you want to do a Vanya ritual? And I'm like, I kind of do, man. <laughs> you know, just because I enjoy getting that mindset and, you know, it, getting people to see the Vanya and experience them it's a really interesting thing because there is so little known about them and not a lot of people follow them. So just being able to be that person that can kind of help guide them and see the way is really rewarding for me. I love it. What kind of advice would you have for somebody that is newer to, especially like the Vonnie or like for me example, I've only done a little bit um, with the Vonnie mainly uh, Freya, but I mean, even that's relatively limited in my interactions with her. Uh, it wasn't really until the small little gathering that we had in Kentucky where I really felt like the, I really, really felt a strong bond to your presence. Um, 
but as far as like people who haven't had any experience at all, like what kind of advice would you give them as far as like potentially reaching out or just like, I wouldn't say what to expect, but like just a good like starting point or good foothold. So this is going to be extremely complicated. So, you know, really perk up your ears and listen. My number one advice, this is my 45 page dissertation, go outside spend time hey, outdoors I feel, I feel like someone else has said that before too yeah that was my campaign first and you took it and i let you have it but anyway <laughs> so yeah just go outside experience nature don't go there take your photo of that waterfall you hike to and then post on your instagram done go there spend hours spend days listen to what the birds are doing what feel the soil i eat soil you know like just to see what it's like you know, if there's a tree that's laying down, there's a big hole underneath it, go down there and smell what that decaying earth smells like, because it's different across the country. And it'll, you can learn some lessons from that soil. Uh, just, yeah, go outside, experience it. The more you're outside, the more cool stuff will happen to you. You know, I'll be taking photos of mushrooms just because I'm a nerd like that. And I've had deer feed around me. And I have a better understanding of how deer eat because I watch them do it three feet away from me. You know, just go outside, you know, be careful, but don't be intimidated. I think one of the um, things that really stuck out to me in a, uh, I've been reading the autobiography. Well, it's not the autobiography. It's just a biography of Teddy Roosevelt. Um, And it's like, I'm listening to the audio book and it's like 32 hours long. It's insane. But one of the things that's really fascinated me about his childhood is that he, even as a child, he was just taking notes on wildlife. He would just write, you know, draw them, you know, write down aspects of them, you know, observe them for hours, watch their mating rituals, watch their calls, watch what they do throughout the day, their schedules, and he would just record it even at a young age. And I think that's really something that could, you know, be a beneficial ritual practice in a way is just like, hey, why don't you just go out and observe like, you know, the life around you and take notes. Like, yes, other people have done that before and other people have written books about it and volumes about it. But why not do that yourself and explore that with your own eyes? I think it could be a really good exploration. Yeah, And it kind of gets you along the path of finding what your own truth is. You know, I definitely don't believe that paganism has that one fits all thing and it's hard to get in that mindset where you're finding what works for you but whenever you're discovering nature for yourself making new understandings that maybe someone hasn't written about about nature uh, can kind of get you into that mindset that's really cool sorry i was trying not to die last time i was going to try to speak but man, it's a heck of a road that we've been on since the the first gathering. And honestly, uh, like whenever I first started doing stuff with the volunteer, I remember it was midsummer last year. And I think it was right before we were getting ready to leave. You asked me if I wanted to come give a little offering to Njord and we went and gave that mango behind the house. And that's just got me started on something that I didn't, I didn't know was going to happen. Because I started working the Njord more. And then as that grew, I started working more with, I started working with Freya a little bit. And then I came to you asking, like this year, I've been working heavily with Freya. And that ended up culminating at the Central Oak Star of when you, me, and Logan uh, got together and um, led that uh, ritual to Freya or the Freya's float. So anything you want to talk about with uh, with that? Yeah, I've I've been loving watching you get into it. I mean... You know, I love doing the rituals, but it's even better when you're doing it with people that you love and respect. And if you're doing a Frere's Bloat, especially with men that you love and respect, which I love and respect both you and Logan. See, it was very exciting for me to be able to get to do that with both of y'all. And I think it really, the idea that we had for it and the way that it worked out was just perfect. And I couldn't have done it by myself. It would have been an absolute crapshoot. So I'm thankful for y'all. I think uh, um, for any of our listeners who haven't watched them already, um, I do have many of the gatherings we've had uh, through the wisdom of Odin recorded on uh, YouTube, um, starting with the, I think we call it, it was like the spring gathering 2020, I think is what it's called now. 
Um, but uh, Baker and Parker are part of that video. And if you watch that video and then the Midsummer video, which funny enough, you can actually watch their little offering of the mango during like the rainstorm behind the house, like a slight snippet is in that video. And then of course you, you move to, you know, the fall gathering, which you have, um, you know, Baker as the beast and then Parker, his first true ritual stepping up. And then you have a further again, you know, uh, Baker and Parker in the Yule video as well, doing gathering like a ritual and then in the Central Ostara video as well, um, Logan Frere, <laughs> Frere was there too. Uh, but Logan, Parker, and Baker were all doing a Frere's bloat as well. So it's really cool to watch that progression. If you haven't already, I do recommend watching those gathering videos. Not only are they special to me, but I think they're really just entertaining to watch and you really get to see the, the growth of this community and the people within it. Um, so one thing I did want to bring in is the source material a little bit here, um, just because it's kind of what I've been doing on the YouTube channel already is just talking about what do we know from the pros and poetic edda. Um, so one note that I wanted to bring up as far as like the Vanir and who they are, at least as a, you know, established thing within history. Um, this interesting line here from the pros edda and Gilfagening says, um, Niord is not one of the race of the Aesir. He was brought up on the land of the Vanir, but the Vanir gave him his hostage to the gods and took an exchange as the Aesir hostage, the one called Hainir. Um, he came to the pledge of the truce between the gods and the Vanir. So it's interesting to me in this that the Vanir was the land of the Vanir, so as a specific group of people. Um, but really, we really only know of like what Freyr, Freya, Niord, and kind of Nerthus as the Vanir. And that's kind uh, of it, right? I think. What's the one that loves gold? Golvig. Oh, yeah, the one that got stabbed a bunch. Yeah. I think, she, <laughs> I think she's technically something. Story. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken from what I've come across with Golvig, is there's been some things that I've come across where it actually uh, names her as the mother of all Vanir. Like, she was the original. Um, and it's part of her being killed that initiates the very beginning of the AC or Vanir War, but I've only come across that, I think, once. I'm trying to remember what book it is. I'll try to find it. If I'm not mistaken, which, please correct me if I'm wrong. If I'm not mistaken, I think it has the Vanir listed as a, one of the tribes in, like, the Roman era Germany, and I think it's, it might be Germania. I'm trying to remember. I know it's a real, I know it's from, like, right around the, <laughs> and now he goes to go, he goes to go get the book. But I'm almost certain the Tacticus has it has it listed out some of the names of the of the Germanic tribes, and I want to say the Vanir is one of them. Now, whether or not that's really connected, don't really know. But it the name is too similar to not be in my mind. Um, regardless, one of the uh, more fascinating theories. Um, again, there's I, I feel like it's mostly theories around the Vanir and the Aesir. Uh, but one of the more fascinating ones I've heard is that Norse paganism is really the convergence of the two ideals. Now, the question becomes, who were the Vanir, who were the Aesir, who were the, these two people groups? For me, I've always seen it as an interaction between the Germanic people moving north and the Sami people that already existed in Norway, um, in Scandinavia, because they were definitely more, you know, hunter-gatherer, you know, shamanistic. So to me, you know, and again, I, I don't have any solid proof for this, but again, it seems like that connection of the Germanic people moving north, meeting the, you know, very tribal and naturalist people of the, of the Sami um, could be, uh, you know, a story, a story there. I would, I would say that you are, that you're on, you know, on target with like, with what you were saying, like the theory of like, when the Germanic people moving up, uh, moving north, and the Sami people already being up there, and I, and I about guarantee that is exactly the way it was. So yeah, it looks like we got the Vandili, the Vanginos, the Verini, and the Veneti are people groups listed by Tacitus. So I think the closest would be the Ferini. So I'm going to look that up real quick. Um, but one thing while I'm looking that up, we can talk about is um, what do you experience? I mean, far as a Vanir follower, have you had any experiences with the Aesir gods that you can actually like, you know, compare and contrast as far as experiences with them? Yeah, so I've definitely had a couple with Thor, but it was kind of, you know, nonchalant. It was kind of just like, you know, hanging out, honoring him. And then I had a big one with Tyr at the fall gathering. Um, you know, I'm not a person that loves combat or conflict. Um, I'd rather talk my way out and, you know, all that jazz. So, you know, I was speaking with him and asking for courage to whenever I do need to take things physical 
or, you know, someone needs me to step up and then I can be the one that does that, you know, cause that's generally not my vibe. I like to hang out. I essentially like to be human value most of the time. Um, but you know, the ACR are really good for kind of getting that more aggressive mindset. Like there's a very stark difference between human aggression and aggression in nature. Aggression in nature is a lot more of a survival thing. Um, but there's more value kind of tied to ACR aggression. Yeah, I feel like when you're looking at like big like aggression with nature, like I, I definitely experienced that just uh, earlier this week when we were leaving, we had our fellowship gathering and on, on my way home, I hit a storm like no other, you know, and it, it was just, it's such a big difference between that uncontrollable, just pure chaos of nature that there's nothing that you can really do to stop it like i i haven't seen lightning like that in a very long time i haven't seen wind or rain like that like at one point i had to pull over because there was just walls of water and rain and as i'm pulled over on the side of the interstate my phone starts going off because all of a sudden now there's tornado warnings you know so like it's it's i literally i just experienced what you were just talking about as far as like that that very stark difference between you know, like that human aggression and, and aggression with nature because it's a completely different beast. Yeah, it seems like aggression with nature is a lot more random in a way and chaotic, but, you know, ACR or human aggression is dictated towards a purpose. So instead of having random aggression that's for, you know, chaotic needs or survival needs, I was specifically looking for someone needs help I have that courage and aggression to help them. Well, and I think, um, you know, nature doesn't really care if you're old, young, uh, you know, rich, poor, good or evil. Nature is nature. It will kill you. It has almost killed me more times than I can count. I've come face to face with bears many a time. You've shot bears, bears with paintball guns for a yeah, job. For a job. Uh, yeah, I've had several bears get within four or five feet of me uh, i've almost froze to death i've had hypothermia a couple times uh, i've almost drowned three times <laughs> at one point it's finally going to get me but on that fateful day i'll be a happy man i do oh okay, uh big uh, sure you're gonna you want to say something i was just gonna say you know like we could also go back to like me and you talking about parker comparing your job to my job we're both working the you know forestry industry um, but it's, it's completely different whereas like Thor <clears throat> I think goes to more of the loggers and blue collar workers in the forestry unit and in the Vonier they, they tend to go more toward what you do the foresters and the, the people who actually go through and, and look at okay this is that type of tree this is what we need to do for the, this plot of land this that and the other and you know like you I've experienced many dangers with logging but that's just part of the trade I feel like with your job though, sure, yours is like cutting down the trees. So yeah, I don't know if the Vonner is going to be as chill with that, but <laughs> no, you need to cut down trees. No. Okay. Yeah. No. Do, well, I mean, do we get into dendrophysiology? All right. Yeah, well, well, no. I, I was just going to say, like, um, you know, I don't think it's wrong to cut down some of the trees. I think we're using it for a purpose. Uh, our ancestors, you know, they chopped down trees to build the ships to make houses and everything like that and firewood so you you know i don't think there's anything wrong with that no not at all <laughs> that's coming from me both vonier kid and forester it's all right to cut down some trees well i'll never forget when uh one day we were the problem what was that bigger sorry i'm having trouble here so it's just like the over harvesting and like the deforestation and stuff it's like the, the only big problem with well, it and well, the deforestation goes for like when you're building cities, highways, stuff like that. Most of the time, where we cut, they come back through and replant. So, you know, we don't really deforest anything. It's going to be a forest after we get through with it. Well, I'll never forget uh, when Parker and I, I think it was we were hiking in the gorge, and you were just like, you said something randomly. You were just like, yeah, no one realizes how like violent nature is sometimes. <laughs> yeah, you know, like it's a <laughs> battlefield out here for like plants and trees and stuff like that. 
yet. I honestly, I always tell people I'm probably the most pessimistic hippie you'll ever see because they're, they'll be talking about nature and they're like, oh my gosh, this flower and blah, blah. I'm like, okay, well, right next to the flower is a plant that'll kill you instantly. So, you know, watch out. You know, nature is not your friend. It's not my friend. It's not any of y'all's friends. It is, you have to survive. And that keeps you on your toes and puts you in this whole other state of mind. That's, I love it. It's what I live for. Uh, but, you know, it's definitely different than day-to-day, you know, life in a city. You got to know what you're doing at all times or else you die. You know, if, if I have a bear coming at me and I make the wrong move, I'm dead. And, you know, that's on me. In the words of a wise man, there's always a bigger fish. So roll it back into the Vaughn here. Um, one thing I, you know, I find really interesting is we're in this complex situation where you have, you know, the Aesir gods, the Vanir gods, and then we also have the Landvatir, um, but then you also have the Jotuns, and they all seem to play a different role within the world. Um, because I'm not mistaken, like, uh, uh, like Thor's mom, is it, is, is she technically a Jotun, like Jordan? Is that? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, like you have yeah, Mother she's, Earth, she's... a Jotun, you have the Vanir, which are kind of like the watchers of the, the forest, I feel like, like the watchers of the groves. And then you have like the actual landvatir that exists within like the deep natural places. So there's this interesting complex relationship. And it's probably one of the reasons a lot of people stay away from the Vanir is because there's really no definitive thing. And they probably suffer the most from the fact that we don't have gods of rain, gods of this. You know, we really don't have that. The Vanir are very complex. Like um, Parker, what would you describe Freyr as the god of? You can use multiple things, of course. Oh, geez. Uh, I would say harvest manhood compassion um fertility definitely fertility <laughs> why do you say it like that <laughs> hell yeah brother <laughs> <laughs> okay let's talk about penises real quick guys so um the phallus so fun fact ian found a rock at the last gathering we were at and it was a it looked like a phallus and he was like, damn, Parker needs to see this rock. <laughs> um, because, I mean, one of the earliest depictions of Frere that we have um, was a little bronze statue. Now, it could not be Frere, but it's pretty, we're pretty sure it's Frere because it had a phallus on it. Uh, and so, obviously, you know, Frere was seen as a, you know, a male fertility thing, which is very common in pagan religions to have a male fertility object, uh, much like Freya is the female fertility, uh, you know, uh, goddess. Um, so this does play an important role in pre-Christian Scandinavian society and still plays an important role now, you know, having children is the only way the human race is going to continue. So to have deities that oversee that in a way is important. Well, I don't know also like from what I've talked to with a few people and just my own readings is not only is he just like, like both um, Freya and Frere, you know, male and female uh, fertility I, if I'm not mistaken that also covers like planting you know crops because then they also cover agriculture as well I believe both of them do to some degree yeah it's all about growth of the seed man that's the whole the whole Vanier thing is this weird intermix of euphemisms and metaphors for growing people both via you know intercourse or by spiritually growing them or mentally growing them. And then also, you know, growing the land around you. It's a lot of management of both humans and your environment around you. Yeah, and once again, I feel like the Vanir are just placed in such a weird spot because, you know, I don't think, I think it's too simple to call them the nature deities. Like, I don't think that's, I think that's an oversimplification of their role. Yeah. Because a lot of yeah. my time is spent, you know, bringing people to nature because whether people want to, uh, you know, believe it or not, we came from nature. You know, a lot of people, they're content with their city lives. But the fact of the matter is we came about in nature and everyone needs to get back out into it. Get sunlight on your skin. It is fantastic for you if you're feeling terrible go outside and feel it 
I try and work on myself first. You know, if I'm lacking in something, I'll, you know, try and shoot for it. You know, it's a huge part of my daily life because every day I go into the woods and I need to learn more. I have this drive to be better at plant botany, uh, physiology, wildlife encounters, everything like that. I have this need to be better so I can share those with other people. Kind of going back to like touch on what you were just saying, Jacob, a second ago with like the complexities of them, like the Vonnie are being more than just, you know, nature deities, um, you know, right at the beginning of this episode. I mean, we you kind of brought up that, you know, they primarily were the ones that taught magic. I mean, Freya taught Odin magic. So like, I think that plays into their their complexity of being more than just nature deities as well. They are very, I feel like more in tune with the mystic side of things as well. Yeah, so I'm at this weird duality when it comes to nature because I'm both in a scientific field, but I also do nature-based magic. And there's very big distinctions between them. You kind of got to feel it, but it's definitely there. Um, you know, whenever you start studying nature, it's like, how do these things happen? There's so many complex relationships between every organism. It's almost like the butterfly effect thing, you know, you do this to that and then there's a macroinvertebrate in the soil that'll do this to the tree and blah, blah. It is insane. It's magical every time you go out there. Even just the sun hitting us from that far away and we're, you know, cold enough to not be burnt to a crisp but still warm enough to live. It's insane. It's straight up magic. Something else with the with the Vonner, which I don't know, I'm not that big of an expert on like Freya, so I don't know if it can be said for her, but I know with, um, especially with like Freya and Njord, with Njord being, Njord can literally, if you work with him, he can teach you how to be a, like a great father, because I've, I've experienced that and he's helped me be a better father to my daughter, and Njord, or not Njord, but Freya has taught as, like in my workings with him, I've become, you know, a better husband and lover and everything like that to to my wife but do you experience that have you experienced anything similar to that or have you noticed that as well maybe not so much with the father thing yeah so we were talking about you know people get in a mindset where they want to lump a god to a certain thing you know and that happens really bad with the vonir because we don't know much about them so with njord for example you know, a lot of people be like, oh, he's the seafaring God. You know, if you work with the ocean, then do stuff with Njord. You know, I live in a landlocked state. I still do a lot of stuff with Njord because all water is connected, first off. And then there's all of our gods are so multifaceted. You know, like I discovered the Njord thing very early on in my work with him, which is crazy that I found that out because, you know, I'm only 20 years old. I'm not you know, a father or anything, but then I shared it with actual parents and they're like, yes, this is beautiful, you know? Well, um, you know, it's fun, uh, interesting bringing up Njord because again, he is, you know, the, again, the theme of the Vanir is that it's so complex and it's hard to pinpoint them down to one thing um, because I struggled personally with the Njord thing as far as like connecting him in the landlocked state. I always felt like, well, you know, what's the point of connecting to the, the, the water, the ocean deity? Um, and then I did my first video on Njord uh, back last July when that hurricane came through and I was like, okay, you know, this is a good moment for me to try to connect, you know, this is ocean level, you know, moisture coming my way. Why not yeah. use that? Um, or you can say something. Uh, yeah, I was going to say like, yeah, you said, we think that we're landlocked, but we got that hurricane rain all the way up here. Yeah. You know, it's all connected. Well, and then, um, well, yeah, sure. got like, mon- like all of a lot of it <laughs> down there in Texas. Well, actually, funny enough, whenever that hurricane hit, that was about the time I gave an offering to Nord and asked for protection, and it turned and went toward Louisiana, and it left Texas. And someone should have given an offering in Louisiana. Um, but like, uh, I would say I haven't had like any profound experiences in Nord. I feel like I've had um, a couple understandings. Definitely when I, um, for some reason, rum helped me a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and um you know sitting under because literally in the the new york video if you look at it 
It's just me sitting in the rain from this hurricane drinking rum. And I end up drinking like half the bottle of rum and giving the other half to Niord. So I definitely got like this like weird salty sailor vibe as I was just feeling the ocean sea spray from the rain. <laughs> I, I've talked to the people and there's there's multiple sides to New York because there's sometimes the best analogy I have is like being on a fishing boat with your grandpa, you know, like he's not going to be the nicest to you but you know there's so much love behind his eyes and his whole character and there's other times where you get sailor Njord and dude can party you know he's there for a good time most of the time it's, it's grandpa Njord but whenever we gave that mango at uh at midsummer mm. those winds were whipping they weren't destroying mm. nothing but geez i thought the house was about to come down and i was, yeah, I was gonna have I to like prepare an apology <laughs> I like getting out there and drinking rum with New York. It's always a good time. Cracking. <laughs> um, so the, and the other thing of New York I um, find interesting, and this is diving a little bit differently into, um, you know, the Jotun sides of things is as far as like, he's not actually the God of the ocean. He's like the protector of the coast in a way, because you have Ron and Aegir, which are the gods of the sea. Um, and they're actually Jotun. And they're not seen as good deities. Like Aegir, yeah, he has like a feasting hall and the gods go there to feast. But other than that, he was actually seen more of this like Davy Jones type figure where it's just like the ocean kills people. And like you talk about something terrifying. Imagine being on a Viking ship in the North Sea when the ocean hasn't been overfished yet. And you got these creatures that are like swimming next to you. They're definitely bigger than your ship. Um, so the ideas of Jormungandr, which translates literally to like big monster or something like that or big creature, you know, this idea of something swimming up next to the ship, like, yeah, the ocean's probably not seen as a good thing. So for New York to be seen as a deity to help the seafarers definitely, you know, is an interesting aspect where it's just like he's more landlocked or it goes with the sailor, uh, which is one of the reasons why um, the uh, ship that uh, Caleb actually tattooed on my leg, I dedicated to New York after getting it just because of the, the protection while going across seas. Yeah, there's a, uh, I was looking at for artwork in New York and there's a lot of people that will just kind of do them as a Norse-themed Poseidon. But then I found one where it was just this guy walking on a beach. And I was like, yes, that's Njord right there. He's not intermixed with the water like some, you know, like Poseidon. He is a guy that just watches over all of that and protects people. Right. Yeah. I would I would agree with, with that right there because, you know, me living so close to the ocean, I don't see every time I go there, like in Galveston, I don't really see Nord there. I see Poseidon. That's who I connect with there. Uh, but Nord is definitely more of a protector for people who travel in the ocean or work on the coastline. Well, yeah. And if you look at it too, like think about where most, uh, you know, primary villages and cities were built around that time frame. They were all along the coast. I mean, the Norse people were very, very, very advanced for that time period as far as sailing and things go so to have him be more of a coastal figure more than the sea and the protector of the coast makes a lot more sense because most of the people of that time were in you know fjords and on the coastline anyways more than being obviously living out on the ocean yeah especially in uh, earlier civilizations i mean proximity to water is life well, that's one of the interesting things about the city, uh, Parker, you and I live on Lexington. I think it's one of the biggest landlocked um, cities in the United States, if not the biggest. Um, I think it's like second or third. Yeah, like there's not a lot of cities in the United States, if you really think about it, that are not built on the ocean ways or at least a river way. Because, um, you know, here in Kentucky, you have Lexington at 400,000. I think Louisville has over a million and Cincinnati, which is technically Ohio, um, has, uh, I think, over 2 million. But both of those are on the river. And then you think about New York, it's on the ocean, even Chicago, it's on a lake. You know, this is a theme across civilization even today. You know, shoot, um, on the way back from the Ozarks where our gathering, we drove across the Mississippi, which was awesome. The Mississippi is huge. Um, I don't think I've ever actually seen the Mississippi before. It's too big. It's a thick river. Um, There's a lot of bears that'll get to it and be like, well, because <laughs> they wander looking for a mate and they get to that river and they're like, all right guess i'm turning back <laughs> <laughs> but yeah just like looking even that like you know people don't even think about the shipping industry on the rivers anymore like there are still 
tons and tons of things that are shipped across the Mississippi and the Ohio. I mean, we drove over like a barge area. I mean, there was just dozens of barges loaded with shipping containers. So, and I mean, shoot, one of the reasons we're having, like I went to go get uh, an outfit for, um, I have a wedding at the end of the month I'm going to, and I had to go get a vest. And they were talking about how they don't have any clothing anymore, any options, because all of shipping is down right now because of, um, you know, because of COVID. And so we, we really don't realize how important the ocean is and how important sea travel still is. And I mean, shoot, our planet is mostly water. Yeah. I think it's like 70 to 80% of our goods are shipped to us everywhere across from the world. And then whenever, not only with COVID, but you had that uh, freight ship stuck in Egypt that had everything blocked up for months on the end. Like we're, we're going to be feeling that pretty soon from just that one freight liner being stuck for so long. It's really crazy when you get into like shipping and how it works. Cause like Walmart, and all these other big corporations had to go out and buy other freight ships to send back to reroute and bring goods back to America because of that one ship was stuck in the Egypt River in the Nile. Yeah, I was just saying, like, yeah, we live in a landlocked state, but I was saying all water is connected. And then through that connectivity of water, we have connectivity of people as well. I mean, shoot, you know, the first people who came to the United States came over boat. You know, even, you know, the Nordic people that came over, boat, <laughs> you know, it's like North America, boat. yeah, boat and um, Australia. So, this, this, <laughs> so New York definitely plays a far more important role. And there's something that like people message me all the time. They're talking about, they're like, oh, you know, oh, I'm not feeling Odin's presence or I'm not feeling the gods. I'm like, well, you should probably stop trying to connect with Odin and go with more of the Vanya route, go with Njord, go with Freire. Um, with Freya. Um, and, you know, I just did Freya's week um, for the YouTube channel. And one of the things I mentioned, it's like, it literally says in the Prosetta that she's a fairly easy deity to reach out to. So it definitely seems like since the Vanir are very connected to the land, the earth, and to what we do with our hands, uh, as far as like farming and fishing and things like that, you know, it seems like they are definitely more easily reachable deities than these more ambiguous sky gods that the Aesir are. Yeah, trees are... Uh you know contrary to popular belief they don't have legs so they can't go anywhere so if you ever want to go see them then just go see them yeah that's the biggest issue with me like where i'm at in new mexico like it's it's just flat rolling plains like yeah there's a few trees but you know it's not anything compared to like when we were just in the ozarks um you know like as soon as i hit coming into arkansas and i started seeing rolling you know tree like rolling hills and and cliff sides with all these trees and stuff like i felt so much more at home and at peace compared to like on my way back you know i cross back from arkansas into oklahoma and it just starts to become these flat plains and it it, it just feels almost like an alien planet to me at that point because i for me like i need trees being from minnesota like i was so used to being around lakes and rivers and trees and things like that um you know, and I feel like it, yeah, like what you were saying, Jacob, uh, it's it's easier to connect. Some of the Vanir gods are very easy to connect to because, I mean, nature is all around us, you know, um, but I define it like being in areas like where I'm at, it can be a little bit difficult, or at least it feels a little bit more, um, it requires a little bit more effort, say, than like in Kentucky or in Texas where, you know, shards that and everything like that, or even in like, yeah, in Tennessee and stuff like that. It's just, it's not a whole lot out here except for just rock. Well, you can plant a pine tree and then put iron around it and it'll grow. Like that's the best thing for a pine tree is iron. Well, what I would say is if there aren't a lot of trees in your area, don't get discouraged because what you have there is a challenge. You have what looks like to most people a worse landscape in air quotes, you know, but it's not. It's just a separate thing with its own lessons. You know, every day in a desert is a fight to survive, just like it is and over in our neck of the woods, you know, and you have sand there that is millions of years old, just crazy. It used to be these huge rocks that are now these tiny grains there's so many lessons in 
all the geological structures, these tiny plants that reserve their water, these creatures that make their way through this, you know, one of the toughest environments ever on the planet. It, there's a lot there. You know, yeah, you don't have trees. You can't connect to tree spirits as easily, but don't discount the land that you're on. You know, put some effort into really looking for what the land has to offer you, both spiritually and mentally. Yeah, I think that's definitely a good point because I've noticed like the longer I've stayed here, the more I've actually started growing my own like house plants and stuff like that to kind of make up for it, which has been a challenge in and of itself because there's some plants that I can grow, you know, at the snap of a finger and they do just fine. And there's a couple of them where I'm just like, uh, they're not doing so hot or like I can't grow them at all. Yeah, I'll be honest, I'm not very good with horticulture. Uh, currently, I, currently, I, I have a very natural state of mind and things in the woods die a lot. Like there's a reason that you see a billion acorns everywhere, but not a billion trees everywhere. Stuff dies and that's all right. That was actually, that was the first lesson that Nerthus gave me my first offering to a God. She was like, Hey, you're going to die. I was like, excuse me? <laughs> She's like, but that's all right, because you get recycled into the soil. And I was like, well, that sounds nice. Uh, but yeah, I, I have this kind of strange concept with horticulture where I'm like, why are you putting so much time into an organism whose whole survival is having a lot of individuals that probably won't survive? But I'm hoping to get good whenever I get my homestead and everything. Because uh, if I don't get good, then I die and my family does. So I'll well, get good I mean, quick. <laughs> you know, that's same, that same lessons within, uh, you know, the have them all as well. You know, everything dies in the end. Um, you know, we just have, well, I mean, uh, Ian, you know, Ian and Baker, you guys were part of my uh, meditation I did over the weekend. Um, and so part of that meditation is taught, you know, realizing what a tree is and what a, a tree can teach us as far as like, it doesn't have ears, it doesn't have eyes. So what does a tree feel? What does it see? What does it experience? You know, what, what are the tree's eyes if it doesn't have them? And so, um, you know, that meditation really is allowing yourself to become a tree and allowing yourself to be connected with them. But then as you leave the meditation, you realize what we have and what we have the ability to do. Like we may not live as long as a tree. We may not see as far as a tree does, as far as like in the area around it, like as its roots do. But in the end, we can move. We, we can actually unplan ourselves. We can move somewhere else. We can actually see things. We can communicate with voices. We can create things. So I think that's one of the most powerful parts of the meditation outside of, you know, trying to reach a higher plane of like, you know, allowing the trees to carry you to the gods and things like that, which when it gets all magical. Uh, but, you know, in the, in the core of it, it really does make you appreciate the fact that we are given an amazing gift in our short lives that things like trees are not, but we can still learn from them. And yeah, sometimes if I go on like a trip somewhere, you know, go up north and I see something cool, I'll come back to tree spirits that I'm close with. Uh, that sounds weird to say out loud, but yeah, I have several trees that I visit often. You're in a good company, and, man. <laughs> yeah, it is a great company. <laughs> I've got this nice red oak friend that sits on the sill. He's fantastic. Um, but anyway, yeah, you can be their eyes and one of my favorite ways to honor the land or just tree spirits in general, I always tell people, you know, either listen to them or talk to them. They cannot move and cannot go see other places. So there has been times where after a trip, I will go see some trees and I will literally just relay the story to them, you know, and connect with them that way. And then kind of just listen back for, you know, any responses. I think one of the coolest thing Mary told me she did during that meditation was that she actually shared memories with the trees because the trees can't experience things. And so she was like, I shared memories of being on a boat because my a tree will never be on a boat, but it's on a lake. So to understand what lakes are and what people are riding on boats, I was like, huh, that's actually really cool. And that's one of those that, you know, that's when it starts getting into the, the side of this uh, faith where it's like, you know, we sound crazy when we say it, but at the same time, it feels so right in the moment to share those kind of things uh, with and, trees and, and yeah, stuff like animism. that. Yeah. But dude, we have to be careful, like, who we say certain things to, because then we just get the, do you need to go inside, like, a padded room <laughs> with, like, a straight jacket on? Yeah, no, <laughs> like, depending on who you, you tell these things to, a psychiatrist, like, 
for the government. They're going to be like, um, we're going to need you to put the straight jacket on. So another quick question I have. I was, I was just going to say that I walk a fine line because where I am in a scientific field, you know, I'll just kind of like sit next to a tree and put my hand on and like everyone's thinking like, oh no, Parker's got heat stroke or something. And I'm just like, you know, connecting with this tree. I just turn up, like, get up, turn around. All right, guys, let's go on to the next thing. They're like, what were you doing? I was like, you know, I just probably shouldn't even say. <laughs> <laughs> they know I'm faking, but still, it's hard to explain. Yeah, yeah. Like a quick question for you, Parker, just kind of being touching on like the Vonier stuff. I mean, have you had any working with the Vonier and with nature so much? Um, I mean, obviously you have the Lamvetier. What about like the Fay? Like, have you had any interesting interactions with them? Because they, from what I, my understanding is, they are very much nature-based creatures. I mean, they kind of fall under that same realm of like the Lamvetier in a sense of being almost you know, woodland spirits or, or nature spirits on a, just a, a different plane. So I haven't worked with them directly, but I definitely make sure to not get on their bad side. Like, you know, most of us have heard the stories and all that jazz. They don't abide by the human morality. They're not evil creatures, but, you know, nature has a different morality. And where they're more humanoid, figures generally um you know i just do what i do and i hope that i'm respecting their area and that everything's all good but i've never really done anything specifically with them i'm just not to that point yet you ever run into like spooky things there's some (laughs) not every tree spirit wants to talk to you and I learned that the hard way. Like there are some trees where you walk up to them, you're like, wow, you're gorgeous. And they're like, get out of here. And you're like, all right. And you just have to turn on around. Uh, some trees are grumpy old men, uh, for lack of a better analogy. I've seen spooky stuff every once in a while. Like You'll get to like a cedar grove that's kind of in a bog. And it's just got this smell to it and this feeling in the air you're like this is not a good place a couple times i've felt like that but then i've stayed because i'm an idiot and it's been actually really pleasant you get some nice uh lessons about primordial decay which i always love one of the most like spooky things we've ever done is actually logging the whole graveyard and like we were we didn't even know that that graveyard was there until we started cutting trees and stuff down and we found old tombstones from like the 1800s and stuff. And we called the forester out and they're like, oh, well, we're gonna need you to cut the timber. And my, my dad's like, no, we're not doing this. This is disrespectful. And uh, it's now uh, got a fence around it and they removed into every individual tree and it's a historical site here in East Texas now. Uh, my buddy, he got a job this summer and one place he has to work at, it's this, uh, mesa in new mexico that all the natives say that it's like super haunted and that it's actually a gate to the underworld that's held up by these four pillars um one hiker supposedly went searching for the four pillars one time uh, and he was with his friend you know they looked didn't find anything but then the guy that wanted to look for him woke up in the, in the middle of the night, wouldn't say anything to his friend and just walked off into the woods. And then they finally found him three days later and he was just naked in the very dead center of that mesa. Huh. As I'm literally looking it up, I think I found it. It's a, a coma pueblo, I believe is what it's called. Man, I wish you could have seen those, uh, those tree spirits up in uh, Wisconsin. Well, they weren't really tree spirits, but they were just the spirits that were in that forest because it was ridiculous how you could literally just see them poke their head out behind the tree. You could see the eyes staring back at you and then go back. So that, uh, Yeah, that's when we start getting into the weird stuff of like Norse paganism and stuff like that, where it's just like, once you encounter things like that, you're like, what is going on here? And that's, you know, we're definitely moving far away from the Vonier thing. But that, again, it's the multiple layers of like the nature interactions we have just because like, 
Um, you know, you see something dart across your vision in the woods doesn't mean it's a Vanir thing. You know, it could be a Fey thing. It could be an elf thing. It could be, you know, a land spirit thing. It's, you know, absolutely crazy how many different layers there are to this. Um, and the more you talk about it with people in the community, the more you realize that we all have these strange experiences. I mean, look at the people in Iceland. They still have these stories of the elves and the Landvetir that live in Iceland. Um, you know, it might sound like a cultural taboo now, but this used to be, you know, part of a mainstay conversation back in the day. Um, and I think it's really cool to see these conversations come back. Yeah, it definitely goes back to, you know, to stay on your toes. You never know what's out there. So you've got to be ready at all times. You know, you look away for one second and that can be your demise. Because the elves get you. If the elves got me, I'd be all right with that. If it was justified, yeah, I'd let the elves, the elves take me. As long as they, they throw me into a bog after. Or they throw things at you in the woods. <laughs> so, Parker, the last thing here as our last topic, I do want to ask you, do you have any advice for anybody um, as far, besides going outside for the Vanier followers mm -hmm. out there, like any offerings you would give, like if they do have a home practice um, or just like ways to connect with, uh, with Freyr on a deeper level? So I try and go with a lot of organic products, you know, uh, your fruits, vegetables. I try and go with what's in season or what my family's growing, uh, stuff like that. Anything with wheat or grain in it is really good. So, you know, beer and all that jazz, breads. Um, I like to also do offerings of time and effort you know cleaning up forested areas helping out my local farmers uh stuff like that um and then this kind of goes for any god in my personal practice but i like to give offerings of things that have value to me you know i give dried mangoes to frere which you know a lot of people wouldn't think of and that's all right I give them to them because they're my favorite trail food of all time. You know, they have this intense value to me where if I'm on a trail and I had a rough day and did a bunch of miles, my feet hurt, I eat some dried mangoes. And I'm like, all right, everything's going to be good. So by giving dried mangoes to Frere, even though, you know, he probably doesn't know what a mango is, you know, it's this symbolism that this is something valuable to me that I'm offering up. You know, come from the heart would you also say something like maybe offering something you fished yes for uh definitely something that you've you know harvested from the sea or river yourself is fantastic it's all coming from the heart man you know and if you are slaughtering an animal killing an animal you know do it in the most respectful way possible all right well we'll begin to end this episode so parker Thank you so much for being here and uh, allowing me to kidnap you for one hour of your time, um, even though you were totally here just to get uh, pick up your gifts. But you know what? This is your price of entry. Um, so one last time, go ahead and let people know where to find you as far as social media, if you want to share that and uh, any last things you want to say. Uh, I guess my only social media is on Instagram. My handle is son of the Vonier. Um, I do a lot of you know, plant magic stuff. Recently, I've been doing a live stream lecture series. Just talking about actual scientific topics. Like last week was how to how do trees work, uh, and explored some stuff. Feel free to DM me. I'm free whenever I'm not in the woods. Which and is I always. <laughs> I'll get back to you. I promise. It might take a couple of days, but I will get back to you. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me on, y'all. It's been a good time. I love talking about this stuff. I love talking about nature, plants, spooky stuff, spooky all that. Stuff. All right. Well, folk, if you want to hear more about uh, plants, spooky stuff, and the ancient gods of old, please make sure you continue to follow the Folk Podcast and all of us on our social media platforms. But thank you so much for watching this episode. Um, if you are interested in being on the Folk Podcast, please email us at thefolkpodcast at gmail.com. I don't like it because Sheridan mocks me every time I say that now. He knows I have to say it. He knows I have to say it. Dude, so there's doing months. <laughs> I hope you hear it in your sleep. 
um but if yeah if you're interested on the folk podcast please email us at the folk podcast at gmail.com all lowercase if you have any subjects you would like to bring up please email us at the folk podcast at gmail.com that's the folk podcast at gmail.com um but uh, what was the i don't know well, the parker says you asked again it's the folk podcast at gmail.com oh the podcast folk at.com uh, yeah 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 it's, uh, at gmail at, at com jail uh, yes well thank you once again parker for being on the show and until the hall everybody skull skull